Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to have Tuomo Coloma uh, is going to be joining us. He is the founder of SPX Graphics, and he will be talking to us about the new SPX Graphics for Zoom, which is really impressive. And so he, we, all the graphics that you see on the show... SPX. <laughs> so, so we're doing, so it's moving from what our show does to many of those, adding many of those features to Zoom. So stay tuned for that in the second hour. If you've got questions, of course, you can, uh, you can ask those questions anytime in Makana, but you can also use uh, this little QR code here or just go to askofficehours.com and throw those questions in. You don't have to log in. You can actually do this 24 seven. So if you see this video later, you're time shifting this whole, this whole thing. And you see this later, you can use that URL any time of the day, um, and and ask your questions, and then we'll feed them in uh, in the next day or two. So uh, so go ahead and throw those questions in, and let's go ahead and start with those questions. Mitch, what do we have? Thanks, Alex. Uh, first question in from Sean Johnson. In New York, if I'm only streaming to YouTube, are there any benefits to using a service like Restream? I periodically get a high bitrate warning in the YouTube dashboard when streaming directly to a YouTube client account. Using OBS to stream from a MacBook, thanks. Yeah, the the um that um, warning that you get, you should just ignore it. It's 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 an old feature of YouTube, um, and I know from fairly good sources that it doesn't doesn't matter. <laughs> so you can you can send. I think that the maximum that you want to send to YouTube is fifty megs a second. I think that's the that's as high as you want to go. Um, but anything below that should be fine. And I've done thirty five and forty megs a second for four K stuff in the past, and it won't be a problem. So don't. I, I wouldn't consider that a real issue, other than your home bandwidth being able to manage that. As far as Restream goes, usually Restream gives you the opportunity to stream. There are some advantages. If I was streaming straight to YouTube and that's the only place I'm going, I wouldn't bother with Restream. It's an extra cost. Uh, there's not a lot of extra features there. Where Restream starts to show um, some benefit is um, that they have, you know, you can go to a lot of different outputs all at one time. Uh, you can go to, you can do, um, so you can stream to a lot of different outlets. You can go to outlets that are hard to get to otherwise, like LinkedIn or you you wouldn't do it now, but in the before before the issues in Europe, you could stream to things like VT, which is like the the Facebook version, uh, the, Russia's Facebook <laughs> stuff like that. So there's a lot of odd things that you can stream to that that are available only through Restream. Restream also allows you to aggregate your comments. So if all if you stream to a bunch of different platforms and you want to look at all those comments in one place, Restream will allow you to do that. I don't recommend doing that. I think it's it's actually not a great behavior is to. Uh, you want to always be looking at how you're going to centralize your user base. So use the other platforms to promote that they should go to one. Um, and that helps you um, kind of build, go out to all of them, but bring them all back to the one that makes the most difference for you. So um, so anyway, so but so I don't think that if you're only streaming to YouTube that you really need it. Um, and I wouldn't worry about the high bit rate warning. Next question. Graham Cardwell from Belfast, Northern Ireland, has a question. BBC panel at political conference today. The labs on a panel and the headset on the host discuss placement of labs on host side. Boom to cover host turning head. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I think that you pointed this out. Now I can't unsee it, uh, Alex, that uh, the BBC uh, seems to have their labs upside down uh, on their host now. And I guess they do that to keep the plosives out of control. And I think that they would say proper. <laughs> they, they would say it wouldn't. It's not upside down. It's properly placed. Uh, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Courtney. 
Yeah, the the picture they're talking about here, I'll cut to it, is that the host is in the center, and she is wearing a uh, head-worn boom microphone, not a boom from overhead. Uh, And the the other two panelists, which are on either side of her, uh, have lavs that are mounted on their coats on the side of the presenter in the middle, so that when they turn to talk to the presenter, uh, they're going more on mic than off mic, and when they talk front-wise, they're still pretty much on mic uh, with that lav mounted on their jacket. So it is the proper way to place it, and uh, that's how the correct way to do it. Uh, And since the presenter, it's kind of bad to put the presenter in the middle. I usually like to put the presenter on one side and the two guests on the other side or opposite on an opposite table. That way they have eye contact with each other and they're not both straining their heads looking back and forth. Uh, to the presenter, or the presenter doesn't have to look back and forth to the other panelists. So, odd way to set it up. I usually we usually don't see them in America. We usually don't see the presenter in the middle with the guests on either side. I, I think that the the proper uh, pronunciation is Merca. Merca. Yeah. So the um, so the uh, but um, the uh, one of the things about it, the headset mic is probably on the host because it takes more time to put it on. So I think that most likely it was just easier to put it on the host to have them there. Um, and, and they have them for longer typically than the guests coming in. And it, it, un, if you, you have to kind of know that you're going to put a, a headset on. If you don't, you know, uh, there's hair issues and ear issues and length issues. And so it's easier to do that with the host than it is with everybody else. Uh, I do think that the, the upside down thing works just as well. You don't get as many plosives and it's just I think it just looks funny. <laughs> so I guess if you're in the, watching the BBC, it doesn't. But I think that I think it, it's an odd. It just looks odd. Um, but I think it actually probably produces a better result. Uh, go ahead, uh, Chris. I tell you, Alex, I spent the first several years of my career in this industry as a remote audio engineer, slinging a big heavy deck over my shoulder and throwing lobs on people all over the country. And um, I... When when I see a lav that isn't dressed properly, it drives me crazy. I immediately, I can't hear a single word the person is talking about. My mind just completely focuses on that microphone and how I would have done it better. And um, it really is. It's, it's, it's a ball handling skill. We had one where we had someone that was very uh, well-known uh, world leader and their security is the only one allowed to put the lav on them. And they put it on and it, and, and in the middle of it, they pulled away and somehow they had bunched up a bunch of it underneath their jacket and it all kind of fell out. And there's just like this and and the thing, <laughs> it was just the whole time. You're just like, there's all these wires hanging out. It was, it, it, it really is. Um, I, I do feel like uh, it, it's something, I know for us, we were very conscious to making sure that anybody that we sent out as an A2 or someone from our staff did it over and over and over again, and we could probably do a whole second hour on lav, pla- on, you know, lav placement. But but the main thing is is that it was it was really not only putting it up there, but giving it the structure, doing the extra loop underneath and then down, which kept it from feeling like it's pulled over and made it s- s- sit exactly the way it should. Um, and and we yeah, I don't know if it's worth a whole second hour, but it, but but I think it's it's not, a, the, but it's it, it is worth discussion. I'm sure you could do a, a video on it. And, that would be like 30, you know, 60 seconds long at the most. Like, this yeah. is the way to do it. There's no other way to do it. Do it this way or you're wrong. 
And it's funny because like, because I do it so often for other people, uh, you know, I'll, someone will hand me the lob and I'll just pull it up and I'll just do the loop and everything else. And then they realize that I'm in production, <laughs> you know, like, it's, you know, like, like, cause you don't do it. You won't do it by accident that way. You know, if, if you don't know how to do a lab, uh, you won't, you won't do it correctly. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and another thing about the direction of them, you got to make sure that the lav is an omnidirectional lav and not an end address lav turned upside down. Because yeah. if it's not, uh, they're going to sound far away. You're going to get a lot more self noise by cranking it up because they're going to be about thirty dB down. I mean, about ten dB down. If you're, you know, yeah. looking at the wrong end. I and mean, if you're, uh, there are mics that are side address, like the tram and the trim mics, right. which have the the element on the side. Then you can put them on normally. Uh, or a lot of times, if you put them in a vampire clip, you want to face the element in towards the clip. So that way, the backside of the microphone is the outside, especially if you're going to put it underneath a lapel or underneath a tie. That way, it doesn't rub directly on the element, and it still leaves an air gap around the edge and gives you a pretty good reception uh, omnidirectionally without uh, having to deal with clothing noise on the back of the microphone. Little two yeah. tips on love placement. I know exactly. Well, it's, it's the the uh, with a, like if you use something like a Shure WL WL one eighty four one eighty five, they get turned even just a couple degrees. It becomes a nightmare. Yeah, so you really have to be careful. We try to avoid using uh, directional lobs unless it's absolutely necessary. And again, it's usually the. Um, the 185 that we use from Sure, and it looks like a big pill. You'll see it in people presenting on stage. You'll see these big pills, and those are 185s. And it's 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 one of the many arguments for not doing keynotes on stage anymore. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, plus one to Courtney on using the uh, the trams with the uh, vampire clip. They're just simply easier. But the loop um, also makes it easier to stabilize the mic. Yeah. And if for some reason the clothing starts pulling the wire, it doesn't pull the mic and cause all kinds of rustling to the, uh, noises like that. And I miss the days of the old salt and pepper shaker mics from EV. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. I'll also say, and this is this gets sensitive, and I know, Alex, you've talked about this, about having uh, properly gendered A2s working with properly gendered talent. Yeah. But I, on many occasions, and again, you have to, you have to uh, read the room and, and know your talent, but I Oftentimes, on a woman, I'll I'll ask her. I'll say, "Look, this is what I want you to do. You can go to the bathroom, but can you just clip it to your brassiere right here?" And you have this nice little protected area. It works great. Maybe not in the photo that Courtney showed. It looked like they were possibly like on a showroom floor. So, getting it closer to her mouth made a lot of sense. But that is a great place, and it's it's difficult. And you know, this was the '80s when I was doing it when it was easier. So, yeah, good. good recording. Good placement. <clears throat> yeah, speaking of lav placement, uh, this is how the first lavs were used uh, on the first Today Show uh, with Dave Garraway there. As you can see, the uh, lavalier uh, around his neck was not inconspicuous <laughs> at all. Wait, is he holding it or is he? No, it's on a lanyard around his neck. <laughs> gigantic. <laughs> He's not holding that. It's just hanging. That was an RCA. It's, yeah, it's, it's hanging on a. It's got a standoff a lanyard, on it. A lanyard around his neck, and uh, <laughs> and I'm sure thought someone thought that that was genius. Like it. That way he could use his hands to. You know, yeah, look at he yeah. can be so expressive and talk with his hands. You know, there was yeah. a lot of meetings and people said, that's amazing. I can't believe I didn't think of that. And, and, and then there was a meeting at, that somebody said, that looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he 
<laughs> well, that, those were about the only small microphones they had back right, right. today. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, next question. Uh, next question coming in on our QR code uh, question drop from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Scanners for old photographs. Courtney. Well, I just use the, uh, I have multifunction printers, which have a scanner, you know, and they all have 1200 DPI color scanners built into them. Uh, so that's usually what I use for scanning uh, photographs. There are uh, copy stands you can use if you want to photograph a bunch of old photographs. You can set up a DSLR on a copy stand, something like this. It has built-in lighting at 45 degrees. <clears throat> Excuse me, and you put your camera here and adjust it in height to frame. Uh, frame your uh, picture that you're going to take a picture of, but you got to make sure you don't get reflections off the surface of it, etc. That's why I usually think a uh, linear scanner like those that are built into uh, most copiers, most uh, copier scanners these days that come with the, you know all the HP printers and the Canon printers do a pretty good job of scanning, doing color scanning, in, and that's what I use mostly. Mitchell? Yeah, the gotcha is the uh, the dot pitch on how the uh, printer has printed the photographs. So uh, you need a printer that can uh, deal with that. Uh, I usually use Epson's. Sounds like it works great for me. That's just my personal preference. Go ahead, Chris. My mother is an artist, and spending a lot of time here at her house, I've gone around and taken some of her photos, trying to dig one up, taking some of her paintings, really large, like, you know, three-foot-by-four-foot paintings. I got to tell you, uh, I get it in the kitchen under some good light, and I've been taking pictures just like really carefully with my iPhone, and they look great. They they really look good. You know, you get it straight on, you get the parallax taken care of, you can even adjust some of that, crop it down well, um, depending on what you're doing. I, I've done a lot of photos just with my iPhone. I. Uh... I, if I'm going to go through the trouble of scanning, I usually want it to be the, you know, I never want to do this again kind of thing. And so um, I have a, a Epson Perfection V850, um, and uh, it's probably a little overpriced. I think that if I was going to recommend it to somebody again, I think that you're going to get most of the value out of the V550, which is about, the, it's, both of these are 6,400 DPI. And the advantage of that is that you can also scan slides. So, so in, in you know, at 6,400 uh, DPI, uh, slides are fair game, you know, as far as being able to pull them out. And so, and you can get relatively good, you'll get about as much as the slide has in it. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, so those are the, that's the, those are the ones that I've used and I've used them for maybe the last decade, um, of some version of that. And, um, they're, they're great. The one, again, the one I have is the 850 and it's really expensive. It's like $1,200 for a scanner, but we were used to that. Like when I grew up, that's what we paid for scanners is 700, 800, a thousand dollars. And it came with Photoshop. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but I think that it depends on what you're scanning. I, for me, I'm scanning usually old photos, oftentimes partially damaged photos. I know that I'm going to want to go in. So I want to scan with all the color depth and everything else that I can possibly get out. Of, I'm going to squeeze everything out of that piece of that paper that I possibly can um, so that I have all the all the room to work later. I then uh, I'm in the process right now of taking those scans and, and even some of the images that I have in, in photos and printing them out at at uh, at uh, archive level. Um, so I'm slowly building a folder of archive uh, pictures. And the reason for that is that otherwise, you know, I think that we're going to be the most documented and then undocumented popular um, group of the, of, in the history of the world. So we're going to have, we have all these photos of our kids and of our family, but a hundred years from now, we're not going to have any. 
Like it's it's just going to be this incredible. And so as a result, for my family, I'm getting ready to basically take that scanner. I don't want to even mail some of those pictures that my my family has at home because they're they're the only ones. And um, I'm going to go through and um, take them out and spend a week in, in Pennsylvania, hang out with my family and scan everybody's photos. You know, just like, you know, we're going to scan all the photos that everybody has. And then I'm going to put them in the cloud. And I'm going to put them in a backup. I'm going to hand them to a couple family members. And then I'm going to print them out as archive. You know, and anyone in the family can order them. I'll, I'll just, you know, with the cost of whatever it is, it's not cheap. When you print them on archive paper and you do everything else, it's going to cost you, you know, uh, the, it's going to cost three or four dollars a print, you know, to, to do it. And that's the raw cost of it just coming out of the system. So including the ink and everything else. And so it's um, but but I think that we're but I think it's really important. I think it's important to have those those things. Um, and I'm printing some of them on metal, which I love printing. I don't print them. They, you can send them to companies and they'll do metal with standoffs. It just looks so cool. Um, anyway, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I've called this era that we're living in the digital dark ages. Yeah. The, the, so much is going to get lost. Um, do we have a lot of questions? Can I tell you a, a two-minute story? Two minutes. Maybe, maybe less. <laughs> I was in the Midwest, ran into an old man who knew my family from, like, the early 1900s. And I showed him a picture that I had from like the 1920s. I said, do you know, do you know these guys? And he said, oh yeah, I have that picture. I'm like, what? He goes, I have that picture. I go, how do you have this picture? It's my family picture. He goes, oh, I got it. And he walked across the street to the church where he had a key, comes back. I was getting my hair cut at the only, only commerce in the town. And he brings a piece of paper. It's not archival like you're talking about. And he's got my picture. I'm dumbfounded. Like, how do you have this picture? It took me about five minutes before I realized at the bottom of the piece of paper, it had the URL from my webpage where he had, where somebody had printed <laughs> it for him. <laughs> he goes, I've had that picture for years. Yeah. Yeah. The, I have, there's a picture that, that what, what I really had thought about is my, my grandfather was into radio and there's a picture of him in his room with his friends. And he's got, this is probably from uh, 1922. 1923 100 years ago and it's just with all these wires and he's got a head he's got this crazy headset thing on and his friends are all sitting there and he's all cocky look you know with his with his uh you know sitting his, in front of his oscilloscope and his old sony camera not even like they didn't even have picture. those back then they, they he had just you know raw wires and and i and i just uh uh yeah. Anyway, it was just I realized that would be gone now. Like we would we wouldn't have that now. And so that's when that's what it was actually looking at that photo that got me to think about I should we should start scanning these you know these photos. So anyway, so I'm starting to work on it, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, next question from Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California. What is the best Zoom solution for doing multiple simultaneous office hours type shows in 1080p? I, I think the question is, are you trying to do multiple um, simultaneous office hours type shows at the same time at 1080p? So the, the, if you're trying to do that, uh, you do need a kind of a setup. Again, we, we can talk about doing it. We haven't seen the spec in the cloud yet. So a lot of people will say, well, we can do this, just do this in the cloud. We are working right now on figuring out what it takes to replicate exactly what we do here in the cloud. Um, and that's probably, I'm going to argue that that's probably office hours 4.0. <laughs> so it's a little, little further out, but we're, that pipeline is starting to turn. I was talking to Jeff Keithley about telling us how much it's going to cost and we're going to start architecting it. Um, so, but, but the, um, 
So, but doing that can either be, if you do it in the cloud and you do something or something that's close to what we're doing, that's just an instance and you can keep on copying them in the cloud. That's the advantage of that. And that's why we know we need to, need to go there. We're just trying to solve other problems first. The, the way you would need to do it in currently, the way office hours works, there's a lot of computers and a lot of things, but the core things that are there are we, we have um, a, an ATEM constellation because we need all those all that I/O, uh, we also have a router that's going to let us a couple routers <laughs> that let us pull all the signals in and out. Uh, we have an X32. We have a um, you know we have basically two Mac Mini or we have we have more, but you can do it with two Mac Minis and two quad cards. You know, a, for, one for each Mac Mini, and then you're using Dante to get to the mixers. And there's a lot of bits and pieces. And then we've talked about it in the past. You can look at what the architecture is, and we'll continue to talk about it because our goal is to have other people do it. Um, you know, we, I, we found, I found out, you know, we have to move and I found out that, uh, you know, one of our members has already built a mirror, a mirror <laughs> of what we do. And so it's going to be easier for us to, you know, keep continuity with the show because, uh, we'll probably only have to upgrade a little, a couple things to make that work. And so, so anyway, so I think that the, um, uh, but you'll see more of it because I think more of us are starting to get closer. There's a lot of us thinking about, I know, own I know is thinking about building something that looks a lot like what we do here. Um, and, uh, and then uh, I think other people are, are, are building those out. So I think that, and that was the intention, by the way, was that we would show other people what we're doing. We show them how to do it. We don't try to, you know, hide anything. And the goal is that other people build the same system and make it better than what we're doing. Some people figure out how to do it in the cloud. Some people how to do it more efficiently than we're doing it. Those are all things that we're hoping more people do. Um, and so we'll talk more about that in the not too distant future as we, as we kind of work work through that process. Quick reminder, of course, that you can ask questions throughout the hour. So if you've got questions, you can throw them into Makana right now. Make sure to vote on them so that we know what order you want us to ask them in. Uh, and then if you're not in Makana, if you're just watching this 24-7, you can actually go to askofficehours.com or just use this little QR code here and uh, you can ask your questions there. You don't have to sign in. You don't have to do anything else. Just th throw your question in. And you can do that anytime. Whenever you're watching this video, you can put a question in. And um, you can save that little URL and just do it anytime you want. Uh, next question. Vincent Alvarez from Bellingham, Washington asked, During last night's Oakland Raider game, uh, sometimes after a big play, audio would completely go out for a second. I believe a system detected profanity and quickly responded. Very jarring. Shouldn't it add general crowd noise to mask it a bit? Mitchell? Yeah, back in the old days of Veterans Stadium here in Philadelphia, I used to shadow the audio guy because it was fun. And we found that people started picking up on what a crowd mic was, and they purposely would seat around them if they had cheap seats and cause the profanity or commentary. That In fact, they would follow the placement of the mic no matter where we put it. So be careful. The crowd noise mic may not be the one that you want. It may be the one that you do not want at all costs. Good, Chris. A friend of mine used to record a lot of um, live worship albums in Southern California. And he found that he had to have many mics in the audience because of the profanity. No, it would, there, there would be people that would show up with like, I'm going to bring a tambourine to the worship concert. And they're just like right in the field. It's like, okay, don't get to use that mic tonight. So he had to have a, a, a an abundance of crowd mics to choose from. This is a really interesting problem, though. I I don't I don't know what they could do. 
It's becoming more of a problem. I think it's partially the surround stuff that they're doing. They're trying to do atmospheric stuff, so they put these mics around. I did notice it in the uh, in the Steeler game on Sunday. There was just a there was definitely one person that was yelling "boo" a lot on different plays and different calls and do whatever, and you just got to know that guy. <laughs> there was that guy you could hear yelling it the whole time, and um, and you and I know for corporate events um, in the past we've put up to twice as many mics out there that we needed, and a lot of them weren't connected to anything. They were literally just hanging there so that so that people wouldn't know what what they were next to, because we just just we had we we actually made that made dummies because people were doing exactly what was talked about here. They'd start trying to do things to the mics. Um, and some, and a lot of them were wired up and we had enough to back up and move around, but it was, it was, it was really problematic. And a lot of the ones that we were actually using were so hidden that you couldn't, you wouldn't know that they were mics, you know, like, so those ones are the ones we were using and the ones that were hanging out or just wires that went up to somewhere. They're old mics that didn't work. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, they've a lot of the networks have turned to automated systems that detect profanity and will just mute it uh, for a half a second or whatever. Since they're on a seven second delay anyway, uh, they have time to do that. They did have automatic systems for a while that would detect a profanity and just flip it. It would invert the uh, the sound for that sake. So it, you know, a curse word would come out. Yip, yip. But people got wise to that, and they could uh, take them and flip them back later so that they could restore them to their full profane. You <laughs> wanted to learn how to say them backwards. Like you're, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it wouldn't like, recognize them. No, but a lot of the profanity that you hear, especially in a football game, not only comes from the crowd, it comes from the players in the field. A lot of times they don't uh, censor themselves correctly. And during calls and, and the line of scrimmage or in the huddle, sometimes you will hear profanity. So that's a lot of times where it gets dropped out yeah the, the, there's a whole team at at um there's a whole team for the games that manage the mic the mics are put typically on the guards the offensive guards are where most of the mics are get get put on you know get put on the on the field um they usually both guards so if one goes out or the other one goes out you, you still have the mic there and and oftentimes there's a couple other mics that are around but those are the main ones and um You'd be surprised. Like, so there's one team that sits there and it's not the broadcast team because they don't want, it's literally there to protect the players and everybody else. And their only job there is to bring the mics up and bring them down. So a couple, as the, they break huddle, they bring them up. And as they, as, as soon as the play ends, they bring them back down again. And um, the funny thing is, is that I was, I, yeah, I worked on that team once. And, and the, the funny thing is I was expecting to hear all kinds of stuff. Nothing like it was nothing back there in the huddle. Like they, they, it's so little time. They have to just move to the next thing and not talk about it. Timeouts, they talked. <laughs> Timeouts, they'd be like, "Can you believe that call?" Blah 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 blah. But but it but it, during the you know from one huddle to the next until until it stopped. And then also you realize you, you, get, you get very conscious of how many breaks there are just for television. Like there aren't they're not, they're not timeouts. They're just breaks that television needs to put commercials in. And so then they have a bunch of time to hang out for two and a half minutes. They t there's a lot of shop talk at that point, but there's not, but there's a team that's there just to make sure that you don't do it. But I think it's partially all of this is driven by the, the NFL really wanting you to feel like you're there. So they keep on trying to, you know, like bring in all these, all these atmospheric things as well as they're actually, I don't think that there's a seven second delay anymore. They've lowered that delay. And they've automated it. And the reason for that is betting. So the betting, the seven seconds is too long for the betting. And so they're, they're bringing that there. Everyone's trying to get that, that delay down to nothing because they don't want to have people in the, in the, uh, 
they don't have people in the stadium have a betting advantage online with FanDuel or whatever uh, than the people who are watching on TV. There's a huge thing, a huge discussion about. We get into discussions around sports. All you talk about is latency. Hey, Mitchell. The, uh, the old seven-second delay on the radio was based on the amount of time it took for a loop that you created between two machines to cycle all the way around between them. I think th- I think that was the basis of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem with the digital uh, delay systems, um, except until the thing that uh, Alex was just mentioning, is that once a profanity is, uh, is te- detected, it has to build the delay back up in order to get there. So if there's two profanities in a row, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, the one that we used for our system is an Everett's, and once you did it, you had no other, you, you couldn't do it again until there was like a commercial break because we had to reset it in that moment. So when we hit it, because what we were doing is we we weren't, there was no loop. We were hitting it. We were jumping from the, you know, the delay. Everyone's on a delay. We just jumped to real time and we just cut that seven seconds out, but it wouldn't. But then, then we were, we needed a break to bring it back in. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Delay uh, the the whole seven seconds delay has always baffled me. Uh, we're talking about uh, crowd sound effects and stuff like that. I, I remember sitting in a, a control room with a friend of mine was uh, mixing baseball. And baseball is so formulaic. He would literally sit back in his chair reading the newspaper with his hand on the VCA that controlled all the the crowd and the mostly the bat crack, and he'd fade it up at every pitch and, and he could do it without even looking. It's just like there goes the pitch. Because he's looking for the bat crack, but that that mic would introduce a lot of extra noise into the the overall mix. So he just, you know, like however how many pick pitches are there in a baseball game? You know, a couple hundred. Yep. And just in out, in out. He could do it without even looking. It was crazy to watch. You could, Courtney. Yeah, they also have the parabolic mics on the edge. There was a while there that uh, they were really worried about cheating, eavesdropping on the opposing team so that you could hear inside the huddle. So they were really paranoid about putting wireless mics anywhere on the players until they came out with encrypted digital encrypted uh, transmission. Um, And you'll also notice that uh, when the coaches on the sideline are talking into their Motorola headsets, uh, they put the clipboard up in front of their mic so they opposing team can't lip read them so when they're calling plays out to the huddle so it gets uh yeah pretty contentious on that stuff and i think there still is ever since the wardrobe malfunction at the super bowl i think there's still a mandated delay of of a uh, as long as the equipment can handle it as speed enough for the automated equipment to, to catch it and delete it but no, i'll find out i don't i don't think there is now um next question Another QR code question from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. The best and a worst clothes for sound reflection or sound absorption at a live recording small audience. Go ahead, Jesse. I mean, you can wrap your 180-pound sack of water in nylon. You can wrap it in cotton. You can wrap it in polyester. Uh, that 180-pound sack of water is going to absorb the sound better than any cloth that you can put around it. Courtney? Yeah, the clothes you're wearing really doesn't make much difference unless you're wearing something like this. You know, all these little mirrors uh, could be problematic. (laughs) Actually, it'd probably do better to break up the sound because they're all at different angles reflecting the sound off. Mitchell? Sequins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's less about reflection and absorption and more about shuffling and rustling and and clinking. Uh, necklaces are also something that we hear a lot of, and earrings. These are all things that that tend you tend to pick up on a lot. Anything that's that's clinking against each other <laughs> is usually the thing that we try to we we try to worry about or we do worry about. Next question. 
from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Paul asked, did NAB coverage get canceled? What happened? Yeah, so we will be covering it to some degree. We will not be covering it. We will not be broadcasting it, so it will not be on YouTube. Uh, we are going to cover it through After Hours, and we're still working on that. It was a we had some funding issues <laughs> with with what we were trying to do. Uh, we we, were, we uh, played a little too hard, tried to build up a little bit for, and we got a lot of pieces together uh, that would have been a pretty impressive piece. But then um, the the we we weren't able to gather the funding and. Part of it's related to the fact that we're moving our entire system at the end of the month. And so doing all of those things at one time and trying to recover from uh, not being able to get the funding we needed was not something we could do all at the same time. So we will be, there will be people on the ground um, and we're working out what that coverage is going to look like. Uh, we are going to be doing some stuff from in after hours. So we'll let you know what that schedule looks like as we get a little bit closer, but it won't be part of the broadcast. Next question. And it's from Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia. Which iPhone is Chris using to take pictures of his mother's paintings? A native camera app? Tony? I'm not sorry. Uh, Chris? Uh, 14 Pro Max native camera app. There you go. Uh, next question. And the next question from Chester Sweeney. Some good and bad ways to pass around audio logic files when a person uh, at A and a person B live in different states. And this is another one coming in from the QR code. Uh, go ahead, Jesse. Uh, the nice thing about logic projects is that a logic uh, file is actually just a really cleverly disguised uh, folder. So you can take any logic project file that you want, right-click it, and see the enclosing folder, and you've got all of your audio files right there. This makes it super easy to drop it onto whatever your cloud service is, Google Drive or um, Dropbox. That's the very popular one. Just upload the entire project. Your other person downloads the entire project, and they've got all the audio files in your logic project and the logic project that surrounds them as well. Go ahead, Chris. I will say that although it is a cleverly disguised folder, um, that package contents um, that you're trying to look at, a lot of times we find that um, some of the file transfer services don't handle that package well. Although it's cleverly hidden on your Mac to the internet, it just looks like a folder. You might be better off uh, zipping it before you send it. I zip it every time. So I use it to, um, so we use it, we do this all the time. Every show that we do for Michael Krasny is, you know, is, is a project there. I think we're going to, we're playing with using Resolve right now for a variety of reasons, but, um, but, the, uh, but we have been doing them for the last year on Logic. And what we do is we, we actually record the show um, live. So I sit there in the pre-show, I sit there and play with EQ. I, you know, so I'm fiddling with the EQ, I'm fiddling with levels, I'm doing all the things, I'm compressing it. I'm, so I'm trying to get a done show, you know, and then about 15 seconds before the show starts, I hit record at the very end, I hit, I hit, um, end. Um, and then we, what I do is I render out, I render what I just did out and that goes out for review. So our goal is to have the file from the record in the review cycle um, within a 10 minutes after the show so that our host and, and our producer can can listen to it and put feedback and we put that up immediately on frame.io um, and then they, they put their notes in. Um, we then take that, we zip the logic file um, and put it on frame in another folder in the same inside the same folder, so that that our um, editor Jeff can can um, be able to uh, download that. And then as soon as that means that everything's kind of set up, and as soon as the comments come in, it can be. It's really important not to change anything after you render it, uh, you know, so so that the timing's all right. But then and then and then that all that's how that process works, and it it uh, 
It works really well. And this gives me an opportunity to just say that uh, I believe that the Ian McKaig interview dropped today. Um, it's really good. Like, it's a really good interview with Ian McKaig, graymatter.show. And um, it's uh, Ian is, is an old friend of mine, and he's fantastic. And he will be here Monday for us. <laughs> so he's going to hang out with us on Monday. So my recommendation is to listen to the show. Listen to the show that we just did with Michael Krasny, which is out right now. Think about other questions that you'd like to ask Ian. Um, he's just brilliant, and it's just fun to listen to, and you're going to have a great time next Monday when uh, we he's here joining us for Office Hours. Next question. Next question for Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. I'd like to set up a mirror of office hours in Austin. I already have a lot of the gear, not just mics. Is there an inventory list and recipe for how to put it all together? You know, we're going to, because we're doing this, This um, what's interesting is we're doing this move and we, um, we'll, we'll talk more about this move as we go, but we may be jumping to another system for a little while and jumping back to our system as we move it. And um, so I think that let's, we'll talk a little bit, if that all works out, we'll talk about what that looks like and, and whether it looks identical to what we're doing here. But it is our goal for other people to mirror what we're doing because it gives us resilience. <laughs> Selfishly, it gives us some resiliency. Um, so uh, so anyway, so I think that, um, uh, but we'll, I don't know, I don't want to call out what we're doing and how we're doing it just yet because I don't, I don't want to, I don't know who, who's allowed to do what. So anyway, so, so we'll, um, but we're, going to probably move the system and then uh, move it back. And that's helping us kind of think through that process of what that mirror would look like. But we'd love to have someone build another one in Austin. Um, and uh, again, we're looking at O9O building another mirror. Uh, we have someone else that's built another mirror. And so we're hoping to have other people building these mirrors and maybe making them, you know, like we have a lot of stuff that we feel is necessary to run office hours. And we want to figure out what what uh, parts of those are absolutely required or what can be more efficient. And so we're, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Absolutely. Uh, next question. And it's coming in from our QR code, Merrily Zua Mira from Weebolo, Missouri. Heard people talk on about a pre-show demo, cutting things out of pics to better composite hair, since it mostly wasn't heard on the audio stream and wasn't on YouTube yet to share and learn from. Please, can the three to four different ways of doing this be shown? I don't know about three or four different ways, but if Chris is open to it, we can um, we can show a little bit. Can we show that that image that you were playing with, or is that something that the uh, the the woman the one with the hair? Him. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. It's just an image I took off of. I, I'll be honest with you. I think I may have broken Photoshop in the last ten minutes. Oh. Um, <laughs> let me let me see if I can find the image. So here's the. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about what we were talking about before the show. I don't know if we'll do three or four versions of it, um, but uh, but we can um, we can do a little bit of a... Delete. Uh, I'm going to delete this mask. Delete their mask. So here's the... Uh, just double check. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's the image. And it's just... It, this is just something I pulled off of uh, the Google. Yeah. And it had, you know, some flyaway hairs. And we were, play, we were playing around with the select subject tool that this is in the AI stuff of, of Adobe. Let me maximize this. Um, and, you know, you can hit select and it does an interesting job. Uh, it pretty clearly doesn't get the real, th well, I don't know, it might be getting those, probably isn't. And so we were playing with it beforehand. And you can always make it a mask and you'll know. You know, like if you hit uh, the mask button. That, uh, what, this button down here? Yeah, that one. And then eh, it's not bad. It, it, you know, you yeah. zoom into it now, and you'll you'll know what it 
what it did there or undo. Yeah, it it it, it didn't do great on the, the yeah. smallest. Uh, whoops, oops, undo, undo. So anyway, uh, don't you love those pop-ups? I hate them. I gotta figure yeah, out how to turn no. them off. I haven't figured out how to turn them off. <laughs> They're new in twenty-four. <laughs> You're just like, I'm gonna kill. Them. Please don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Although this pop-up, this little guy, the, the generative thing. When you lose it, it's hard to find it. Yeah, I know it's really hard to find. I hate having it there, but I I, I don't turn it off because I don't know where it came from. So I, I, we, we can I can show you that um, under Windows. If you yeah. come down here, it's called Contextual Taskbar. Oh, okay. yeah. So if you turn it off by sitting Hide Bar, you have to okay. go turn it back on here. Okay. But I'm even like, still, even yeah. still, that's what I was saying. I had lost it and I couldn't get it to back uh, come back on on one of my images. Right. So, what is the question? They want to go through the. Oh, they the, want to see what, what we're talking about. Did? Yeah, like we just do it real quickly, and we'll give you kind of an overview, and then we can go back at some do a lab some at and, some point. And I'd like to say that this is a good way to do a training to have somebody who knows what they're doing, Alex, show somebody who doesn't know what it. they're doing, me, because I, and I had this conversation with Mark Giuliani, Mark Giuliani last night. Right. He was saying he was referencing when you were doing keynote to make. Uh, uh, mortises and he said yeah I th he, he said I appreciate you showing on your screen and I said Alex suffers from uh, what did I call it Mark it was uh, <laughs> uh, it, the, he, he suffers from like just being too smart so like you don't know Alex sometimes when you're talking how far over our heads you're going sometimes <laughs> and so explaining it to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing right. is, a, is an interesting way of of doing it we'll, so we anyway, do, we'll just do we'll just do things where i where you show me how to use final cut and i show you how to use other apps and we and the other person ha that's a, that's a whole show in itself where the other person has to do it and the, over is, zoom you tell them okay now click no not there. this is the best one over alex, here over there alex calls me one day a couple of months ago but maybe a year ago and he's like apple has absolutely ruined final cut it's, it's ruined. i can never i can never use final cut again god whoa, they took away whoa, the bars whoa. no they he, he go i go they did calm they down. did take away what i used what did they what <laughs> happened and he Goes, the scroll bar underneath the timeline is gone, and I said, "Why would you use that?" There's a scroll bar underneath <laughs> the timeline. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, "How do you scroll left to right?" I go, "Shift scroll," and he's like, "Oh, okay, bye." Click. <laughs> <Goodbye. laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. It was quite funny. So, anyway, do, do you want to do something on this? I'll do. Yeah, I'll do whatever do you tell me to so, do. So, go ahead and copy the. Uh, just do a. Um, uh, so go. You, you have. That I'm just going to make sure I have a clean version of this okay. of this layer. And okay, turn so the other ones off because it, yeah, yep, yep, and, yep. and then and then um, channels. Go to channels and then oh, you have that that layer already there. So just throw that layer away. The one that's yep, there. yep, yep. Delete that. And then so and then this you, you look at channels. And what you're looking for is the most contrast in the channels. So you, you'll click on red, and then just don't don't click on the eyeballs. Click on the actual channel because it'll isolate it. Yeah, there we okay. go. Oh, let's see. Um, you learn something every day. All right. And then you look at the green. Okay. Look back to red. You never use blue unless you have to because blue's got lots, it's a lot grainier. And um, to be fair, this was a black and white image when we started. So whatever. Right. So anyway, so, so then, um, so we'll just take the red channel and uh, copy it. So just drag it down to the, uh, the little plus sign. There. Right down here in the corner. So we have a copy. And then you're there. there. And then, and then what you can do is uh, do kind of a, you're doing a, la a lasso, but with the polygon tool, a lasso mm -hmm. select. Um, and so you do it along the edge, the, the inside the edges. 
So we we did this. Now I was experimenting with actually taking advantage of the uh, AI selection tool and letting it do the AI select, so I don't have to go hog wild with this yeah. lasso madness, and then doing a uh, a shrink or uh, what are they? Uh, call you can it? do a minimum. Uh, minimize whatever. You can do min or max. Um, yeah, and that's we, we we call that a procedural garbage mat. It's just it's just you're really you're not very fast at that. So if you're fast at it, it takes so the amount wow, of time it sorry, takes to Alex. do it. Doing the best <laughs> I can here. So hit shift uh, de- delete, which is or I'm sorry, option delete, which will use the fork. It'll fill with the foreground color, and then hit uh, command D to deselect. De- uh, de- you're not very you're not very good at this, but okay, whatever. I'm sorry, you're just really slow. It's wrong to watch. So anyway, so um, so the uh, so the um, uh, so anyway, so then uh, what you want to do is use no. You want to use the um, the first one is the you can do the burn first. Yeah, I, I you can do the burn or you can do the. It doesn't matter which one. Just decide which one you're at. Dodge or burn. Okay, we're doing dodge. Okay, so that now what you're going to do is gently... Uh, um, Hold on, dodge highlights or dodge shadows. Uh, you want to dodge the highlights. Okay. okay. There you go. And then go down. And then you just kind of, especially right around the edges where, yeah. So you'll see you're just kind of, and you want to be gentle uh, with it because you will, um, you do have to get up to the edges where she is because otherwise you're not, the, the stuff that's out around her hair doesn't really matter because you can always mask that out. But the, um, yeah. And, and you will kind of, yeah, there you go. Am I really slow at this too? Yeah, but it's okay. It's the first time, second time you've done it. And then, and then get rid of that shadow over there. Right down in this corner. You should see, Greg, there's a guy that works. I don't know, I can't say where Well, to now, be fair, I'm so doing this with a mouse, so it's like drawing with a bar of soap. And with a mouse, too. Um, anyway, so the uh, get, you want to push that shadow back a little bit more, and there you go. And then and you'll see that it doesn't just, it's not like painting on top of it because it's only going towards the highlights. Now, very gently, just little clicks, just just like like almost like a soft brush go past her, her hair, kind of over that shoulder with it. Not clicking, just, just hold it. Yeah, there you go. But really, you got to do it really kind of like in brush strokes to, to make sure that you don't get rid of the detail. Then, then what you want to do is go ahead and instead of doing what we did before, go ahead and invert this. Uh, Command I. Command I. There you yeah. go. And then um, what you can do is set, it's a little easier to see some of those things. So set, to, set um, go to burn. Or actually, yeah, go to burn. But burn set tool? it to, yep, burn tool and set to shadows. And then I would make the, 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 the I would make it a little so bigger. So about brush. up here, you can yeah, do shadows. highlight midtime. So we're doing yeah. shadows. And, and then, then we're doing the And black. then make, make your brush, brush a little bigger. It's a little, it's a little okay. too, there you go. All and right. then with that edge of that brush, because it's, it's soft, just kind of just get in there and, you know, very gently pull, push those, push that, those areas to black. There you go. And then you go up to the top. There's a little bit down, down at the bottom. There you go. Don't go too far. And then, and you might want to just dab it in her hair, the curly. What about this stuff in her hips? Stand okay. by. All right. Um, and then just dab it right in her cr- in the messy part of her hair. Just just touch it once. Right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Just pull that. There you go. That's enough. And then now what you want to do is set it. Go back to dodge. Okay. And then go back to her back to the pants there and dodge in that highlights? a little bit. Uh, uh, dodge and highlights. Because okay. then it won't dodge everything. It'll just dodge the. There you go. And it, as you do it more, you'll harden the edge. You have to always. You're trying to be as gentle as you can there. There you go. And then, um, and then hit Command L, 
was Commando. It's probably a little like so. See how her kind of around her hips, it's, it's still glowing a little bit. It looks like it's glowing. Yeah. Um, that's where you go back and go back to your your burn. Going boom, burn, and I noticed that the highlights and shadows changes when yeah. I change that. Tool. And then and then just just real gently just go along that edge because you want to try to keep as much the the little you know. Uh, just the little subtleties on that edge as you can. Yeah. Anyway, that gets you close. It's kind of hard to do this with Zoom. So anyway, so then and then drag that down to go to the channel and drag the channel down to the little now, circle. Now, am I okay with this hard edge in here, though? I think you're okay. I mean, you may come back and clean this up a little bit, but but I think for the show, this is good. So then... Uh, so the um, for the show now. Know, Whatever. for the show. It's broadcast. Uh, so drag that. Drag the alpha channel down. Mm -hmm. There you go. Drag that into the circle with the dotted lines. Make selection. This guy here. Yeah. All and right. Then go so up, and then go back up to layers. Mm-hmm. And then with that layer... Oh, I hate that. Anyway, with that layer selected, uh, go down and click on the third button over from the left. There you go. And so that gives it a mask. And... I don't know. So this is an example of where Alex said we're just doing it for the show. So we didn't we didn't really finish this. Right. It's a weird thing though. It's I don't know what it's doing there because it shouldn't be that obvious. There's something about the way you're that it displays it there. Anyway, what you can do there is if you grab onto the uh, if you if you select you're selecting that thing and open up layers levels. Uh, open up levels. Yeah. Pull the black in just a little bit and see what happens to her hair there. I don't. I don't know what it's doing because it doesn't. What am I doing that. wrong? We do I need to be that. on? Do I, I need to be on the? I don't know the layer mask. It, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Because what we've done is we, we we went into channels. We created an alpha channel. Yeah, it's there's something because if you go back to the alpha channel, go back to the just go back to viewing the alpha channel. Just click on it. No, don't click on the eye. Click on the the layer. I gotta click on the one below this. it. Yeah, click on the. This one or red copy uh, copy mask? I don't remember which one you had there. Maybe, Probably maybe you have to merge those two. Uh, there, see that one? Maybe you maybe we had the wrong one there. Because um, uh, click on the one above it. Just click on the one above it. Don't click the eye. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I don't know what that is. Um, no, that this. Oh, is that's the mask, mask that that's we copied mask. into the layer. Uh, I think you copied the wrong one. I think that's the issue here. Okay, well let's delete this then. Yes. Yeah. Delete the layer mask. Yeah, delete. Here, load the mask again. See, you it's can, still it's still not good here. I know, but you don't see that hard edge. Like that's not. I see a, like I, I totally see a hard no, edge here. No, no. Okay. It's, oh, it's, you know what, Alex? I'm looking at it on Zoom, and I'm looking at it in Photoshop, and, and Zoom is failing us. Okay, Zoom it's is too, it's too contrasty. All right, so it's too contrasty. Okay, that's why I can't see it. Anyway, so there you go. You get you get the idea. You can't do this over Zoom. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, that was that, a good experiment. That's a good experiment. Uh, crew, you can you but... just cut this whole thing out of the show? Yeah, exactly. You? Anyway, you get the idea. But that's that's how you use the out. That's how you use channel. This is why I tend to. This is why I still have Photoshop and not just use Pixelmator or Affinity Photos because they don't give you access to layers. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, uh, the new Yamaha yeah. Montage M synthesizer only offers polyphonic aftertouch on the 88 key weighted model. Considering other synths, most notably the ASM Hydra synth, have it on their synth action models, is this a negative point for Yamaha? You would have to ask this when you see someone on our panel that knows about synthesizers, because I don't know enough about, about it to answer that question. Next question. 
Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas, with a question based on an episode for all mankind. What year and what country do you speculate will first set foot on Mars? Hope several panelists chime in. Jesse, real quick. Uh, I'm not going to say what year and I'm not going to say what country because I don't think it will be a country. I think it will be a uh, partnership between many countries. And I don't know which nationality will get to be the first foot on the moon. My guess is at least dual citizenship for that person. Go, John. It's going to be Tesla Optimus Prime footstep 2032. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, what is the generative fill feature in Photoshop? Is it like ChatGPT for images? Chris, since you have Photoshop opened. Yeah. Can you show I'm me? sorry, what am I doing? Uh, generative fill. Uh, so generative fill. Let me think if I see, if I can think of an image real quick that I can pull up. Show your video. No, the the video is awkward because it only has. Can, can we do one other question? No, this is the end of the hour, isn't it? <laughs> I'll give you another question here. Hold on. Um, let's see here. Let's pop a couple of questions in here. This is. Uh, let's see here. Um, here, I got a couple of questions for you there. All right, just and for the back end, just go ahead and throw those in. Don't worry about the tagging. Um, there we go. So uh, let's go to the, let's let's we'll, we'll hit cancel here. Hold on. And we'll drag this one up. All right. Um, next question. All right. Chester Sweeney from Las Vegas, Nevada. While I was staring at my Behringer Flow 8, I remembered hearing that Behringer is known for ripping off others' ideas. So was the Flow 8 ripped off something else? Uh, the... Um uh, I don't think so. I think, that, you know, Behringer, so here's the, the deal is um, there's a couple other photos for the back end. There's a couple other camera <laughs> questions there. We need you to pull them in. Um, so anyway, the, um, uh, the, for the, um, uh, for the Behringer flow, I don't think it's, it's copied from anything. Behringer does go back, especially with synthesizers and they're taking ones that are kind of not being used anymore or not as popular and rebuilding them a lot more efficiently and much less expensive than the original ones. And so that is something that's been a bit of a business model for them. Um, and, uh, uh, the, um, uh, so, so that, yeah, so it, it I don't think the flow eight is a copy. Go ahead, Chris. Next, next question. Uh, last question. You want to do next the question, question is the one we asked earlier about the generative fill and Chris is on the case. Okay, so um, generative fill can be used a lot of different ways. This is my wife and her sister on the beach uh, here in Half Moon Bay. So the girls stopped and they, they kicked off their shoes. So if you come down here, I just drew a bounding box around these shoes. And I'm going to use the generative fill, and I'm just going to give it the command remove. And it will. Uh, it does a little bit of thinking, and it's doing... It's doing what a Photoshop artist would do. It looks at the image around it. It it looks at the textures and stuff, and it says, "Well, can I can I actually replace this and get and fill this portion of the image with something else?" And what it's going to do is not only is it going to remove the shoes in tink tink, so there it is, but it does it in a layer, so I can turn it on and off. Not a very so good if you job. Were, I don't know if that's a very. I mean, like it feels like there's a line there. Like I don't. I don't see a line. I see. It looks like a little square. left side. Yeah, left side looks like there's like a little square there. It's weird. Now Although try and remove the uh, now try and remove the the person in black. 
No, here's where it gets more interesting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to zoom out a little on this image and hit uh, uh, C. And I'm going to actually crop open this image a little bit. Um, that might be a little too much. Let's go like this and like this. And I'm going to say um, generative expand, uh, uh, expand background. I think, I think I'm doing it right. So this will give it a little thought. And it's going to look at this and go, huh, I wonder what this looks like. Now, I saw somebody do this recently with the album cover from Bad, Michael Jackson's Bad album. And it says, what would it look like if, if you zoomed out on this shot? And I got to say, it was really hysterical. So this will come out like this. And this is, again, generative fill, kind of. It's also, I guess it's expanding. And there you go. So it made up a beach and a hillside uh, on its own. And if you look at what it had to deal with, it only knew that this little section here is like, oh, that's probably beach, and that's a cliff. And based on a little bit of beach there and a little bit of cliff there, it's obviously this cliff has to expand out into the water. And it did a really good job. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not where they are. Uh, that's actually below the the Ritz Carlton in Half Moon Bay, but that's it could cool. be, it absolutely could be. Yeah, generative film. And Adobe Max is in one hour, and I'm sure they'll talk more about it. <laughs> I, I actually, from and what I understand, Chris showed it is obsolete. They have new stuff coming out, version two. From what I understand, what they're going to talk about is uh, they have new algorithms. When you're trying to remove sandals from a beach, there will be no hard edge on the left side anymore. <laughs> it's a left side algorithm. It's a left uh, next, side feather we're call algorithm. That, yeah. yeah. Well <laughs> left done. side algorithm. Next People question. add feet to them, yes. <laughs> Chester Sweeney from Las Vegas, Nevada. If I were to make a music video to an original logic made song, what would be the app or apps and audio chain to do this better than average people? You know, office hours global standards. So, um, once again, this is coming from the QR code. Um, and uh, the, uh, so, um, uh, you know, I think that if you're, if you're doing that, you could literally shoot this with an iPhone at this point, like if you have a newer iPhone. But otherwise, I would take a look at doing something like, with, you know, using something like a Blackmagic camera. Um, and you could, but I think Final Cut or, or Resolve are probably two great places to edit those back down again. Since using Logic, I'd probably lean towards Final Cut. Um, but if you're doing it all in, you know, if you're building it in Fairlight, of course, everything's all in one place. So th those are the things that I'd probably... Um, th those are things I probably consider there. I think that it's you know it's it it is, um, but I, I I would point out that it really is to we've gotten to a point where you can do a lot of this stuff with your with your phone. <laughs> so if you're if you're working on it, uh, I think you're going to see people doing more and more music videos um, that way. So so stay tuned for more more of that. Uh, coming up next, we're going to have uh, Tuomo Coloma um, is going to be here. Um, uh, he's going to be talking about uh, SPX graphics in Zoom, giving us a first look at that um, uh, in just a couple minutes. Uh, we have um, just a, a, what's coming up uh, next. We're looking for panelists, uh, more panelists, if you're interested in being a panelist. Uh, you can go to officehours.global slash panelist. You fill out that and we'll send you some more invitations to be part of that. So if you're interested in being a panelist, go once again to officehours.global slash panelist. We'd love to have you on the show and we'll tell you what it takes to actually get that done. Um, Wednesday, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about practical 
EQ. So we talked a little bit earlier about, or uh, last week about, or last week or the week before about um, EQ in general and in more theory. But today, um, t- tomorrow we're going to be talking about how to actually use it in practice. Thursday we're going to have a practical guide. We're getting very practical this week. Uh, practical guide to interviews. We've talked also about creative and what to ask for, but we're really going to get nuts and bolts of how to load in, how to load out, how where to put the lights, how to handle the camera, how to handle the background. So we'll be talking through all of those things um, on Thursday, Friday. Uh, IBC coverage breakdown. IBC uh, was just a couple weeks ago, and the team did an incredible job of covering it. And they're going to talk a couple couple of folks from the team are going to be here to discuss that a little bit. And um, and then on Saturday, of course, is our testing time. Um, and so we are, uh, you know, we're basically uh, testing HDR 5.1 um, and 4K. So come in. We're still doing Q&A. So two hours of Q&A or up, up as many as you as many minutes as you ask for. And then Sunday, of course, is introspection. So um, and uh, so uh, we will uh, be to, um, talking about whatever you'd like to discuss next. Let's jump into the second second hour. Uh, welcome back to the second hour, and we're really excited to have uh, Tuomo Coloma uh, from SPX uh, talking about SPX graphics for Zoom. Uh, uh, all of the graphics that you see during our show are SPX. <laughs> so so we this whole show is generated from that, and what's really exciting is that Tuomo is taking a lot of the tools uh, that, that we have here for the show and moving them directly into Zoom, and we're getting one of the first views, uh, maybe the first public view, of, of, of how these tools work in Zoom. Um, Tuomo, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Glad Tell to be before. back. Glad to have you back. I, some people may have not seen you on before. You've been on before to talk about SPX. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what SPX actually is? Uh, be happy to do so. So SPX is a graphics uh, uh, ecosystem for doing live graphics during live production, being it. Sorry, that's my dog getting crazy. Uh, so for doing live production in uh, broadcast uh, live events or live streaming. And we have a couple of uh, offerings to do that. Uh, we are talking about uh, the SPX graphics for Zoom today here, but the, our other application is an open source HTML-based uh, workflow for generating live graphics, which can be controlled manually or it can be automated in some fashion. So we are we are uh, creating these tools and user interfaces and workflows and integrations to be able to do all kinds of live production. We have been doing that for a few years. Uh, our our background is in uh, broadcast design and uh, graphics implementation, so so we we know pretty much what we are doing in that that area. And uh, the SPX desktop application for PC, Mac, and Linux has been out for a little over three years now, and uh, and it's exactly three years older than the app that I'm showing to you today, since, like you <laughs> mentioned, this one was released, the version one, the sort of like the official really first release was released today. <laughs> today. This is it. This is the day. That's it. <laughs> Very good. So can you show us a little bit about it? That's yeah, absolutely. So, so absolutely. So, so like you said, uh, this application is an, is a, you can you can get it from the Zoom app marketplace, so you you don't need to have so any so kind it's of a, now available on Zoom marketplace. So you it's don't have now to, available there. Okay, great. N- no need to wait. Th- there are some limitations, and I'm going to go through those. But as of today, as of right now, you can go and you can actually add it to your Zoom. Uh, the way it works is that it's an actual 
I'm going to do a little demonstration here quickly just to go through what yeah, kind absolutely. of stuff you can you can see on screen while we are doing it. And let's go to the user interface a little bit later. And, and if you're as you're when you're doing this, you're not doing it for a meeting necessarily. You're doing it for as an individual. So I want to have computer Correct. graphics over top of my background or over over me. So I would download SPX graphics because I want to add all these features to my my window. Right. That is absolutely correct. So, so you can consider that these are personal graphics. These are for you and your camera view, and and that that your view is going to have these graphics when it gets streamed out to Zoom and to everybody in the meeting or in the webinar. So that's exactly exactly right. Uh, you can you can do uh, other stuff with with the desktop version, but then it re will require additional hardware, additional software, additional controllers personnel, all kinds of, you, you're sort of like scaling up your production into right. an actual broadcast production. But if you are doing a simple uh, Zoom meeting or Zoom webinar, you can control your own graphics using SPX graphics for Zoom. And, uh, and the upside there is that you don't need to install anything. You don't need to have any kind of a virtual camera set up using OBS or VMix or any, any other application. You don't need to do anything. You just enable the app and start using it. So let me do a little demo about what we what we should see on screen when we are talking about graphics. So I'm just going to trigger a couple of things here first, and then let's go through how it actually, how do I operate it uh, in the backend. So the first thing, what we of course need is, a, is your name strap, uh, lower third. And the way we uh, sort of like designed uh, this application is that we have fixed layers, we call these base layers, and now we are seeing just one of these base layers uh, over my face. And that is, the, that is the name, job title, and the name of the company. I can, I can have it like so, but then I can also have a logo next to it. So if I now trigger a logo next to, next to the a name strap to the bottom left here. So now we have logo down here. Then we can bring in a third layer. So now we have two layers up. So we have the logo, the name strap, and now we can bring in something which we called headlines, uh, which can have uh, a bunch of content which will automatically update there on screen. So I can just leave it there and it will be, it will feel like a, a sort of like a news news broadcast. Uh, then I have the fourth layer, which is interesting. I can uh, trigger a full screen message. So I will be back, uh, you know, doing something and it can have a countdown in it as well. So, okay. So now you have seen a couple of things here. I can take this out. And and if I leave, if I leave my name strap on for a little while and I want to have the logo there as I had it, so it was next to my name, but in the settings, I can I can choose different positions for the logo. So now when I trigger it like this, it is going to move over here. So it's in the top corner with a clock. The clock is optional. The logo is optional. So you can use either or or both. And you have all four corners of the screen available to you. So if I do bottom, uh, what is it? Bottom right. <laughs> so and, and now the logo. Change, how do you change the logo? Right. Let's let's go. Uh, through that once, uh, well, I can, I can trigger it here. So let's see. So if I do something else, I'm gonna. Well, well, let's see what we have here. We have an interesting uh, logo which you might recognize. <laughs> so oh, there you go. 
Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we have a way to change the logo and we have a way to change the position of the logo. And the way it moves is that if I now change it to the bottom left uh, for the second time, so bottom left, and I'm going to trigger it here, it is going to just nice, nicely animate out from the other position and uh, reveal itself right. in the other position. And and this stuff is just the base layers, four base layers containing all this kind of a content. Okay. Uh, then we have additional layers. So additional layers uh, is things that we you can you can you can add later on into the experience. So you, you when you start with the application, you just have a single additional layer which looks something like let me type in the default message, which is something that you all are going to use every day. And you don't see what I'm doing at the moment, or you are seeing it. Uh, let's do something like that. <laughs> all right. So, so this is an additional layer. We call this uh, a meeting callout. <laughs> so, so you can send you can send simple messages like this. Yeah during your meeting uh or you're not muted can you save and and you uh um it, it, with that call out can you save multiple call outs or is it something that you just type in right now and and, and pop up all right very good question at the moment we only uh, support a single single sure. instance of layer so it's just something you want to say yeah right right yes absolutely and uh what I do in my meetings, I have a little text file next to me and I have these sort of like presets and I just copy those over quickly and uh, and I trigger them. But uh, but yeah, we, we in the next version, we are going to refactor this a little bit, which will allow you to create several instances of the same layer. So you can have, you know, be right back message and, you know, OK or no or whatever. You can have several presets available to you easily. That's great. Uh, Okay, so that was one of the one of the additional layers. So now, if we take a little, little closer look at the user interface, how it actually, how do you actually run it while you are you are operating this? So, so we have we are we have divided our basic user interface into these two groups of layers. The first group of layers are these four base layers that I mentioned. So we have the name strap, logo, headlines, and full screen. And each of these is a, is an area that you can collapse. So now they are all collapsed. And if I expand it out, it will show all these options that this specific layer has. Very typical templated template workflow now, now for, for instance, for, for this with the name strap um how do you if i want to change the color from green to blue like for okay. the underlay how does how does that work i'm super happy that you asked <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, since this app has been in the in the beta beta version out for quite some time and uh, mm -hmm. and everybody has been seeing these green colors in their graphics during the beta phase of the application but starting from today you can go into your base layers in the settings tab, and I can choose color variants. So we have the red variant, right. green variant, which is the default, and we have a blue variant. Okay, so this this comes for free. So you can you can change to these three colors using this specific design. Right. Okay. 
And uh, but since you can see that down here uh, there is this little blue uh, sort of like uh, indicator that I am on a pro account, which right. means that I have access to custom colors. So with custom colors, I can just open up a color picker and I can choose whatever color I want. And how, and much, is, will, how much is the pro cost? The pro is $50 a year. Oh, that's great. Or $9 a month. Yep. Uh, you had me at purple, Tuomo. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So, and, and then are Perfect. you able to change the, the look and feel of the, uh, is that part of the, how do you, how, if I wanted to have a different kind of lower third, what would I have to do? Right. You have an option by default. The app comes with two different designs. Right. So remember, we are calling these base layers and base layer uh, renders out. It is sort of like a skin. So yeah. now we are using the starter skin, but we can choose other skins. So these two ship with the application. So I can right. switch between starter and zebra. So now mm -hmm. if I activate zebra, the graphics just went out because we we changed the, the entire template. Right. Or the graphics skin. So I will need to go back to my layers and I will need to reactivate them. But now you can see that it renders using a different right. visual style. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's a template. And we are... And how all of these things are a template. So you, not just the name strap, but if you change the zebra, the way that the headlines come up, the way that you know everything Correct. everything matches the, the look and feel of what you had there. Yeah, Correct. So if I if I now enable the full screen message, it's, it's going to look quite different using this uh, theme right. or uh, design. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Right, and uh, so yeah, now I have shown you two different types of base layers or base yep. designs, mm -hmm. and we are work. We actually have already released uh, a customized uh, base design for. Uh, Fortune 500 company, which I cannot name, unfortunately, but it's a company which has uh, several thousand employees who are using Zoom daily, and they have they have requested us to create this base design using their brand identity. No, oh, I can so, really see this. I can see issuing this to everyone, having everybody uh, have a you know have a look, and then everybody having these lower thirds instead of having the. the and does it take out the Zoom name? Um, when when this happens, or do you just have to go to a PM? No, not by default. I think there is a switch in Zoom, somewhere hidden inside the Zoom uh, management panel, someplace right. that you can disable the, the the default name stress. But I'm not absolutely sure. But I I think that's the case. And then and then the now, if I wanted to build my own lower third, is that something I can do, or is that something we have to come to you for? Uh, well, hopefully later this year we will. We will turn our store, which I'm going to show you next, we will turn that into a marketplace. Oh, so we great. will release an SDK that people, developers, graphics developers can start developing templates and they can sell those through our store. Right. So you, you can be the developer of your own identity. Or other, other people's identity. I mean, like I could definitely exactly. see how, <laughs> you know, uh, you could have... Um, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of company, there's a lot of groups like, um, motion VFX has all these looks and feels that, that, um, uh, that, that are already built for motion. I could see them just filling up your marketplace with, with, Hey, we've got, right. already got a bunch of these things. Um, Happy to see really that. Yeah. 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 That's, it's really cool. Right. So, uh, okay. Let's trigger a couple of additional things because yeah. I have shown you just the basic stuff right now. 
So if I take out these these things here, uh, uh, let's take out the headlines. Well, actually, let's let's leave the he headlines in here. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So let's take out the logo. Right now we don't have the logo, so I can I can go into my additional layers and let's talk about these. So the first one I already showed you, like this, you are muted kind of a thing. Right. And and if I open up this one, uh, uh, we have the settings for this template, and in this version of the app we we developed something that we call dynamic user interfaces. So in the beta version, all the options of a template were given to you by default and you couldn't really, it became quite involved if you had a complex template because you would be given a ton of options to choose from and right. they were not you know, always in sync. But now we have this thing called advanced, well, dynamic user interfaces. So by default, this is just what you get. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you enable this advanced, checkbox in this specific template, then I can start doing things like changing colors. So, and this depends on the template because the right. template developer can de define what, what user what? interface controls are being shown to the end user. Yep. So I can change the accent to, let's say. And for, uh, for those of us who use Motion and Final Cut, it'd be like building a lower third or whatever and inside of Motion, delivering it to a Final Cut as a plugin. And then you only have the dials that are exposed that are something you have access to. So, yeah, it makes sense. Exactly the same concept. So, so right, right now, I just changed the design to be something like this. And if I play it, it's going to look like that. And I can make this come to the bottom of the screen just as an example. And this template is something which ships with the app to everybody. Right. The, the following ones are, are templates that you will need to purchase from, from our store. And uh, so let's trigger this agenda one and let's see what it looks like. All right. Looks super basic there. We have a little list of items there. But this user interface control looks slightly different. So it's just not a toggle to turn off and on these layers. We call this a continue co controller. So it is giving you indication that you can do one of two things. You can stop it or you can continue it, right? So if I continue the template, it is going to highlight the first item on my list. Then it's going to go to the next and then it's going to go out. All right. This is a very cool. important concept. <laughs> Because with, with with controllable templates, you can do interesting stuff. And all of these things, to, to go back to this, all of these things will be something that are in the marketplace. And so you can have lots of people thinking about designing uh, different ways of, of approaching how, what this looks like for and, and making those available. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And and this user interface that we see here in, in this template is something which generates automatically based on instructions given in the template. So so the template developer can choose what kind of a text fields, drop downs, checkboxes, color pickers, whatever you want to expose to the user. And you don't need to worry about, as a developer, you don't need to worry how it's going to render, how it's going to look in this user interface. It's all predefined for you as a developer. So you just use these controls that you want and assign properties to them as you want. So like like an example here, this agenda one, the one with the list, so I can add more content in here and I can make a couple of changes. So I can take out the subheading. Actually, I can take out the, the 
the main title as well. So now we just have, have a list of items. And I want to position these to the right side of the screen. I want to have the panel with, let's say, 30% of the screen with. I want to use a progressive reveal. Uh, and then we have some color options, background opacity. So, all right, so let's make it opaque. So we have a background color, which is going to be black. We are going to have text color, which is white. And let's add an accent color of red. And now when I play it, we will see that stuff in here. But since we don't have any headline, I will need to go to the next item to actually show it because I had the progressive reveal on. So you don't know what what I have on my list. I do, but you don't. (laughs) And I can just go through these items one by one, like so. And that's cool. I can take it out. All right. So text lists uh, continue control. So you can control these these items. Uh, either manually or you can set timers to trigger those for you. Like the ticker that I have at the bottom of the screen, it is updating every, I think, five seconds or something. So if I go into my headlines, I can change it to manual or I can set it to update every three seconds. And the content in the headlines, because I have a ton of text going on in there, uh, now it is working automatically every three seconds it is going to animate in the next item on its own. It's great. Or if I want to make it manual, I mean, depending on your situation, you might want to control it manually. Right. All right. Let's do a couple of more additional layers. So image carousel. Yeah. So in the settings... Well, actually, you asked about the logo, and I don't know if you sh- if you saw that when I changed the logo. So in the settings of the application, the second tab, so we have three tabs at the top, SPX graphics, settings, and store. So if we go to the base, uh, my logo section, so this is a area in the application where you can upload your logo. So if I if I click on this one, and I can I can pick an item from here, let's take the blue one, like so. It is It gives me these options to... Uh, crop the logo and I can save it and then it uploads the logo and it's here. Now if I go back to my graphics zebra logo and I have actually in this template I don't have it but let's see yeah this this template is still broken so I will need to change back to starter one and if I go back to starter one and I can choose the logo from here and play it. Come on. Demo effect, clearly. The live demo. <laughs> That's always a scary thought. <laughs> but, All right. But, but, but theory, I mean, we're, we're on day one. <laughs> so, so, yes, anyway, so, exactly. so the, uh, so it's all good. The, the, um, uh, but, uh, you can, so you can load your own logos. Can you remove them or is it, how do you? Yes, you can. Just, yes, you can. Okay. Yes, you can. So, so once you go into settings and my logos, you can pick an, a, a logo and just remove it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. The same thing. The same thing goes with images and disable temporarily because in this version we didn't have the chance to hook it up yet. But yes. this works pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. So you can upload full screen images, right? And these will become handy 
when you are preparing your presentation. Let's say that you are a salesperson and you have your uh, your uh, sort of like a collection of product images you want to show in your Zoom meeting. Right. So you can upload your assets here. And once you have these assets uploaded, and as I as you noticed, this feature is currently disabled, but I'm going to show you what it would look like if we had these images. So there is one of these additional layers or additional templates is called image carousel. So if I go into this one, I can choose, first of all, how many photos do I want to show in my presentation? Mm -hmm. Let's say three. I have three. And if I had pictures uploaded, I could choose them from here. Uh, and I can I can make other uh, changes as well. So let's uh, slideshow style. If I choose Polaroids left, and let's see, I have this nagging feeling that it's not going to work. Yeah, because we just crashed the application earlier. So let's refresh it and see if it manages to recover. This is always the challenge of... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Tuomo, while that's loading, it, will there be support to be able to uh, trigger some of these buttons and whatnot from like a stream deck? Yes, there will be. Yes, there is. So, <laughs> of course. And uh, uh, so the way that will work is that all of these layers, they are have been assigned, assigned a number. So name strap is number zero, logo is number one, and so on. So what we are doing is that we are we are using keyboard shortcuts to trigger these layers on and off. Yeah. And then you can assign your Stream Deck functions to trigger these keyboard shortcuts. So that's the way it will work. It's not that's hooked great. up yet, but that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's great. Right, so let's try again. So image carousel. So we had... Zoom it up a little bit so it will be clearer for you guys. So three photos, let's use the default settings and hit play. So first image would be here. If we had the image, since we don't have images, we don't see anything in it, but right. it would be within that frame. And again, this is all stuff that you have a base version of this, but eventually the marketplace will support this. And so people can be designing how those images pop up. Correct. And Correct. so you could really build a lot of very complex things up as a developer. And so it really is interesting that it provides an entire platform for people to provide to to use these. It's really interesting. That's exactly right. That's exactly the idea. So we don't have resources to to do all the templates that businesses are going to need. So we are happy to invite other people to create these templates based on our specification. What happens if you have an in-house team that wants to build them? Do they build them and put them on the marketplace? Or how does that, how will, right. how, how do you envision that happening? I envision it working in, in two steps. So there will be, there will be an SDK for developers to create this content. Then there's going to be a submission process in which you will upload your uh, creation. It is going to first go through a technical uh, automated uh, verification that all the hooks are in place as intended. And once that gets approved, then a human being is going to go through it. And once that gets approved, then you will be able to uh, activate that product in your uh, sort of like little corner 
of our marketplace. So you will sign up as a seller into our marketplace and after approval, you will be able to sell your content in there. Like what if, like let's say Bank of America or IBM or something wants to do it just for their company? They don't want to put it on the marketplace. They don't want everyone using that template, right. but they want their folks to use that. How would how would you... Uh, yes. So in, in that instance, we are the, the development process can be exactly the same. The deployment is slightly different. So in the deployment using, uh, using we have a backend system for enterprise customers to be able right. to manage deployments to their uh, employees. So the way it works technically is by using uh, Zoom account ID. So these templates are only going to be exposed to the users who are part of a certain account ID. And uh, and so then for them to install it, they would just go, go and install, would they just install your base app and then, or the... Right, yes. The, the, the people, the, the users, the end users, don't need to know anything about it. So they don't need to do anything because and, we and, recognize all the Zoom users and their Zoom accounts. So we can assign assets, their accounts, Right, and then and then the the and and this is all HTML five, is that right? Correct. So so when you're thinking about if you're a enterprise customer and you're thinking about what is this going to take to actually do it, it's just web design. Like it's a web design process, right? It's not you're not writing C plus plus to build these templates, right? Correct. Yes, and we we are happy to su su to supply these uh, brand customizations because that is very important. Uh, yeah. All right, so I think I have, I have shown you a couple of these additional layers. Let me do a couple of little uh, quick ones. Oh, actually, I didn't show all the options here in the image carousel. So let's do one one more thing. So I showed this Polaroid style. And these, these templates are supposed to be here as a sort of like a reference solutions for developers, just to have ideas how, what kind of stuff you can do with this. So so the next option here is to use a side panel view. So now if I, if I trigger this, uh, so it will it will slide in this little side panel and the picture if we had pictures it would populate this this area and you can have these side panels left side right side and full screen and uh, however you wish so this is just a reference example of it. that's great uh, animated emojis who doesn't love emojis <laughs> so <laughs> So, Courtney. So this Courtney is a, this, emojis. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, you, have, so you, have, you, you can you can pick your emoji here. Oh wow! Right. That's a lot of them. Yes. Yes. So we have like uh, one hundred. Let's take the parting face. Oh, we actually have that on screen. Let's do something else. So let's do. What do you want to see? <laughs> Rocket. I like this one. No, actually, let's do let's do uh, let's do Halo. That's fine. And I'm going to do center. So. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So something to think about. Okay, so now we have we have seen these two tabs. We have we have been controlling these graphics, and as Chris right. pointed out, we can have keyboard shortcuts to trigger these from uh, Stream Deck. Then we have the settings for uploading your well, choosing your base layer and the variant, meaning the color theme of the of the template. Uh, then we can upload logos and manage those here. We can upload images and manage those here. We have uh, a restart function 
to recover from bugs. <laughs> right. And there's a help support section. So we can open up knowledge base articles on different topics in here. So if you are interested in something or you are stuck with something, you can always come to here and just choose an article and you can read about it. And we have your uh, personal user ID and the account number here for support purposes. So if we, if there is an issue with your with your uh, profile or your uh, purchases or something, we may require you to send over your personal ID so we can recognize you in the packet. Right. And then technically, how this application has been built is that there is an actual real-time connection between our database and the user user experience. So uh, our support people can actually activate features and functionalities in real time in your application. So if for some reason you have you have bought a pro license and, you, and it's lost somehow technically, we can enable it back on and you will actually see that little green thing pop up there in real time as you are in this app. No need to reload, no need to install or do anything. That's great. Let's let's open it up to any any of the panelists. I think Mitch has a has a uh, has a comment or question. I do. Twombo, first of all, great work. I'm a fan of your uh, your design style and your programming. You have both things going for you. Um, I had two Thank questions you. for you, but uh, Fenwick uh, ripped off my uh, Stream Deck question, but I'll ask you the other two. Uh, one is, um, does this um, uh, work with uh, Zoom ISO? Was, are, if I use Zoom ISO, will it be taking your graphics over with it? That's the first question. And the second one is, are you able, at least at some point down the road, to consume uh, XML or JSON data from another place? Okay, so the ISO question. So the way this works technically is that these graphics are being overlaid over your uh, outgoing video. So, so where you, in. yes, it is burned in. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it will be there. Yeah. And uh, well, if you do it now, if you do it now over top of yourself here, we should see it because we're doing Zoom ISO, right? So if right. you if you run it and we look at your yeah, so that there it is that, that answers that question. Yeah, because this this doesn't uh, this rendering of of these graphics actually happens within the Zoom client. The Zoom right. client sends out a video stream which will have your graphics burned in. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the and the data. Uh, so uh, XML. external hook, right, to, to be able to look at something as opposed to just something you have loaded in there. Right. And that is a, uh, it's an excellent question. It's super difficult to answer because uh, the Zoom app marketplace uh, SDK, so the, the infrastructure that we are using has some limitations. So we cannot just use any uh, data source available online all these URLs, these data sources will need to be whitelisted separately. Uh, however, there, there are some things that we can utilize. And if we create that data source within our backend, then the application can, can consume that data. It doesn't need to be whitelisted by Zoom separately. So if we can host that data somehow, then it will be easier to integrate. So you're sandboxing so, it, basically. Uh, well, we are not. Zoom is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's from. So, but yeah, exactly. That that's that's correct. Yes. Uh, next question. 
Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, wants to know, does SPX need to be operated from within Zoom? SPX graphics for Zoom is meant for the participant of a meeting or webinar. So you will you will you will uh, control your own graphics. At the moment, we don't have a workflow for triggering graphics on other people's streams yet. Yet, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a lot of us are thinking, well, it'd be really cool because then you could just run all the lower thirds of uh, you know and push everybody's and they don't have to think about it. But yeah, I can see how, how that could happen in the future. Um, and a quick reminder that, of course, S this SBX is running inside of Zoom because that's what it's built for. But we use SBX outside of Zoom every day for the show. So this is all the lower thirds and everything else you're seeing here are run by SBX um, and, uh, and they're not inside of Zoom. So this is just a specific build of SBX for Zoom. Absolutely right. So so some productions, it is it makes more sense to offload the graphics workflow to somebody else, and you will just integrate that into your video pipeline. Right. Yeah, I mean, because we, you know, because we have a big pipeline to do all this stuff, it makes sense for us to do that. But I could see definitely sure. people doing much smaller uh, meetings and events and everything else, and they don't have a production pipeline, being able to just insert it over top of it is really interesting. Um, next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas asked, how do you install SPX graphics for Zoom and what platforms does it support? Uh, desktop environments. So Mac, PC, uh, it runs in the Zoom meeting client. So if you have a Zoom meeting client, either running in, in a meeting or webinar, and it will work. Of course, in the backend, if you are using a corporate account, your uh, Zoom admin may have disabled apps for you. So then you will need to talk to that guy to, to whitelist SPX graphics in your account. But technically, that's it. So you, didn't, you don't need to have anything specific. And the way you can have it, I'm going to actually type it in here. Uh, so... Let's leave it up there for a little while because we have this graphics capability. So why not use? Oh, wrong text. Come on. <laughs> this is what, what this is what happens when you're trying to do everything live, you know, without repairing. There you go. All right. So we have gone through two tabs. We have one left. <laughs> so let's take a peek. All right, so the third tab is the store. So the way we have created this store uh, is that it runs within the application itself. And currently, we have a little technical glitch. So the store is currently, unfortunately for us, it is uh, right now it is disabled. So you cannot really buy anything exactly right now from the store. When do you think that that'll be available? Hopefully, by the end of today. <laughs> right, right, right. Very good. So there's a little technical glitch, but uh, we are working on it. Yeah. Rest assured, we want to have this up and running as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. But currently, it is disabled. Uh, and the way this will work is that these are all the, all the products that we have available at the moment. You can come in here and you can take a look. You can go through these thumbnails just to understand what you are purchasing. You can read about it, uh, and there's going to be options to choose your payment plan, being it monthly, annually, 
uh, or a single payment. And uh, and some some templates here they have additional uh, links like this one, image layer. The image layer one is a is a template which will allow you to upload an image and show it full screen. And it's quite handy because you can do stuff like this. So you can create your like and subscribe kind of a thing uh, that people are using in in YouTube. That uh, that you can you can create this in your you know Canva or Photoshop or wherever, and you can save it as a as a PNG file with transparency, and then you can animate it on uh, over your uh, video stream, and it's super super handy. And one of these things that we have in here is something which orig originates from from this show. <laughs> so so Chris Fenwick. Uh, was nice enough to give me permission to use Fenwick Framer, which the reason why we have it in here is to improve everybody's Zoom experience in the world, because we want to so, have everybody so line you, up you their can load faces. that up as a as a as an image, an image layer. That's great. Yes, yes. So you can you can make sure that your your camera picture is in in correct position, and there is a little link here to see Chris. Uh, talk about this as well so you can you can go and check it out that's great all right so that's it i mean everything in what yeah 40 fantastic. minutes or so oh absolutely uh, let's go uh, courtney did you have something to add there yeah i was going to ask you this is designed to run within the zoom client uh software are you planning to make it run within other type of video conferencing software like teams or skype or uh, any of the others that are available short answer absolutely right. <laughs> uh, a little bit longer answer is that yes of course it is we are positioning ourselves as a service provider as a company who can supply stuff like this right and we don't now, want to restrict those... ourselves to zoom are those SDKs robust enough to actually support it right now? That's a tricky question. Uh, short answer, uh, very demanding. And they cannot do everything that Zoom right. can do. So we will need to do things a little bit differently. But the the end result is going to be quite similar. Right. And uh, the templates themselves are going to be compatible to all of these platforms. Right. That makes sense because it's all HTML5, right? It's, yes. It's something, yeah, that makes sense. Um, next question. Claudio Legire from Rome, Italy, asking, what an office hours full lab workshop about XPX for all of us. I suggest also a paid one if necessary because this system intersects so many interesting parallel futures. I think we can probably drag Tuomo into a, into a lab. Um, sometime in the near future. We'll give it a couple of weeks to let us download it, play with it, bang on it a little bit, let him uh, um, tighten tighten the bolts a little bit, and then we'll see if we can't bring him in for a... You'd be Happy to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. Does the use of SPX graphics inside Zoom require host-level control? No, it doesn't. Anybody can use it. Because this is your personal, this is really your per personal graphic system, right? Because so it's a client, right? Yeah, it's a client. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So you could any you could use this in any any Zoom meeting. Um, it doesn't matter whether you have a host or not. That's great. Uh, next question. Tony Mobley, noon in Georgia, asking, how does it work with those who have already purchased the SPX software in Zoom? 
Thanks, Tony. That was a great, great question. It should work uh, automatically without anything for you to do. If you have purchased a pro license, you should have it there already. So, but I know there are a handful of people who had issues in the beta program to do the licensing. So not everybody are onboarded automatically. And if you happen to be one of them, just let let us know and we will we will support it remotely. We we can absolutely do it, but most of the pro users who have bought the license before, they will get the pro license here automatically. Next question. Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany. How much will a corporate solution be? Is this a single license or paid by the number of users? Enterprise pricing is hard. So there's nothing that I can say here which will be valid depending on your organization. So we will need to talk. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, would you ever think of a graphical template design tool so you could build a template without HTML knowledge? I think this could be useful for the corporate market. Absolutely. So humankind is waiting for such a tool. It doesn't exist at the moment, which is going to be uh, which is going to be uh, generalized enough so it, it will support all of the all of the uh, workflow systems like SPX or some other graphics workflows, but we are working on it as a company. We have uh, dedicated resources to be able to create a specification that will help everybody in the field to be able to create templates, tools, and workflows which will help everybody in the field. That's great. Next question. David Brady from New York, New York. I often switch between my corporate and personal Zoom accounts. Will SPX for Zoom run under both profiles? David, I know exactly what you mean. It has been challenging in the past, but starting from today, all those headaches are gone because now your profile is not being saved onto your client. And in the beta version, the way it worked is that when you looked out from Zoom, your profile was completely wiped out. So you always had to type everything back in. You would need to paste in your pro license. It was a nightmare. Starting from today, all those settings, all the images, your profile, licenses, everything is stored underneath your personal account in our backend. So if you log out from your work computer and you go home and you log onto your laptop and you enable and you go back to Zoom, your settings are going to be there. And that's a client. So it's saved with the client. It doesn't matter. So if I, because I have a lot of Zoom accounts, mm -hmm. I can jump between those Zoom accounts and it's not going to, it's not going to matter. It's no, it's, it's per, per account. So all your okay, so you stuff do. is going to, it's tied to a single Zoom user. Got it. So, yes. So I need to pay attention to which one is which. Right. <laughs> which, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. I, I never, I, I'm on so many Zoom accounts because of the different organizations that I'm in. I'm, I, I have to oftentimes right. figure out which one I'm jumping That's actually into. a good, good idea, sort of like to consider that how could we, how could we have multiple user IDs linked to a single SPX graphic for Zoom account? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's doable, but it's currently, it doesn't support it. Right. Because I have like 20. <laughs> so, right. so, so like they're, they're you know they're that are there that I I pick which one depending on what I'm doing. Um, right. uh, next question, Dave Troutman from Edmonton, Canada. I see your animated strap background. Is this a template setting or something one would have to build in HTML5? 
Mm. Animated. Right. In this oh, little, this animation that we have in here, there's a tiny little uh, sort of like a highlight flying across. It's yeah. it's not obvious, but if I trigger something which has more more animation, so uh, what do I do? I can go into Zebra, let's say. So let's change, change to that one. Uh, and it loads, which is actually a nice feature in this mm -hmm. version that we, it is, has this indicator to know that it's actually doing something. So if I now trigger this full screen graphic, so this is an example of a graphic which has something animation going going on all the time. Mm -hmm. So this animation is something that the template developer has to implement. So the client doesn't do anything. It doesn't know anything about the content that it's actually showing on screen. This is something that the animation has to be figured out in the template while you are developing it. Tuomo, thank you so much for your time. That's amazing. Really, really. I know that you've been working on it. We've all been working on our, many of us are working on plugins that, that are, you know, for Zoom. And, uh, and I, I, and I know that it's a, it's a, it's been a long road for you building, building this out. Um, so congratulations for getting it out today. And um, it looks amazing. You know, I think it really is something that's going to um, be really, really powerful for, for a lot of people to use. I, I, I can see these graphics popping up. What I'm really excited to see is what happens with the actual templates. So, um, you know, how the... Um, you know, how these templates actually move forward and how, how they're actually used. Because I think that as people, if, if enough people start using this, I can see how there's a huge um, opportunity for developers to be building out lots and lots of different versions, you know, of, of what these actually look like. So, Yeah, there's, there's one little thing that I want to add to that is that uh, right now we don't have any templates which are tied to the Zoom uh, data. But you can easily see that uh, there is tough features within Zoom that we can tap into. Right. Uh, things such as chat, polls, yeah. things like that. So so we can start generating overlays and graphics based on actual data, which right. gets collected during a meeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that it's going to be exciting. So it's really thank you so much for for promoting I mean for for, for presenting it here for, for the first time right this is the first time it's really been publicly presented so absolutely yeah we really appreciate it and we're big fans of SPX it, it, thank and you. Uh, we just we love working with you and working with the product so we're really excited to see it here in Zoom um, so thank you again for coming in and and, and uh, premiering it here on Office Hours we really appreciate it. Thank you. And it only crashed once. So <laughs> that's what happens when we get to do it first. We're the first ones <laughs> out there. We're the, you know, so, so it's fantastic. Uh, thanks to the, uh, thanks to the, um, to our panelists. We can't do this without you. And thanks to the producers for all their great questions um, that kept this whole show going uh, every day. Shows the show is driven by, uh, by your questions and uh, your comments. And so we really appreciate all the producers of using either Mukana or using the askofficehours.com. Uh, we, uh, and thanks to to the incredible team. Of course, there's a team that makes this all happen every single day. Uh, they're managing what, what are we going to talk about? And they're managing how are we going to talk about it? And they're managing what tools we're going to talk about it with. And all of those, is it's a huge village that, that makes this show possible every single day. And we appreciate everybody's contribution. Tlaloc Traversal, we traveled 55,000 miles. That's 89,000 kilometers. And that is 440 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours.